Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. But I want to continue uh, this uh, thought, this teaching, this concept about the effect of revival. I shared a couple of messages, the cause and effect, the cause and effect of revival, prayer being the cause, revival being the effect. And uh, we've been looking at this effect. What, what is the effect of revival? What is the result? What happens when revival is going on? And I've, I've used that uh, uh, scripture, Psalm 110 verse 3, from the King James translation to, to talk about revival. I've used this word power. Psalm 110 verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of your power. Let's, let's, let's look at that again today. I want to again use the, the setting of 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elijah calling fire down on Mount Carmel and facing off the false prophets and King Ahab and Jezebel. But, but I want us to look today. If, if, if this scripture is true and it is, your people are willing in the day of your power. I want to make sure that we get this. Something changes inside of us. Did you hear that? Something shifts in me. When I encounter the power of God, there is a response to God. Church family, you must hear this. We must understand this. This is why we pray for revival. This is why we welcome the moving of the Holy Spirit in our life on a daily basis. This is why my prayer is that who we are and what happens here on Sunday, are you with me, is a reflection of how we live every day of our life. We don't live one way Monday through Saturday and walk in there on Sunday put on a religious hat where somebody else. No, what we're doing here is just a reflection of who we are. Worship is not what we do. Worship is who we are. Loving Jesus is not a Sunday activity. It's our lifestyle. And there's something that happens that you need and I need, that unsaved people need, that the church needs, that everyone needs. There's something that shifts when we encounter the power of God. Something changes fundamentally in your life. There is something that that you can do you couldn't do until you encounter the power of God. There are choices you're willing to make that you weren't willing to make outside that encounter with the presence of God. And so we we understand that. It's it's amazing. It's powerful. It's it's how God works. And so today I, I want us to look at this sub thought, this subtitle on this effect of of revival, this encountering the power of God. And, and I want to talk to you today about the war for your will. The war for your will. Your people will become willing in the day of your power. I want you to understand that we, we have skewed this in our culture today. We have let this world we live in uh, develop the narrative, if you would, about your will. I want you to get this. It's important. It's what we're, where I'm headed today. What I want to share with you today. The war for your will. Now, these, these statements I'm making right now, I want you to get these. I want to build on these. There is a transformation. I like this word. There is a freedom that occurs inside of you and me when we encounter the presence and the power of God. There's a freedom. There's something that releases and sets us free. I want you to know today, living in this world will bring bondage in your life. There's heaviness. There is rejection. There is depression. There are lustful connections and temptations. There 
are uh, abuses that happen. There is bitterness that comes in our life. This, this living in this world, there are many, many traps, unforgiveness, uh, all these kind of things that will trap us. When you encounter the power of God, it will bring a freedom inside your life that nothing else can transfer to us. A freedom, a transformation. This, this knowing Jesus is not just religion. How many heard me? It's not ritual. It's not formality. It's not changing my Sunday morning schedule. Meeting Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit will revolutionize your life. Will transform the way you think. It will transform the way you relate to God. You relate to yourself. The way you relate to the people around you. And, and fundamental to that, hear me, is your will. You have a free will. There is a war for your will. We increasingly in, in our culture and what we're fed and coming from academia, coming from government, coming from, from the psychological uh, circles, we, we are increasingly being told that we are who we are because of what someone else did. You are who you are because they did that. You are who you are because uh, you have some genetic situation going on in you. You are who you are because you were born to be like that. And so increasingly, we want to live in, in a mindset that I call the no fault. You know, that, that's, we do it in our insurance now. We got no fault insurance. In other words, just buy the insurance. It doesn't matter who did what. You got insurance. There used to be a time if you wrecked, you paid. <laughs> See, we don't like that because we want to say, I don't have responsibilities. I don't have accountability. I, I don't want to own who I am. I want to project that on someone else. I, I want to play the victim. I want to be a victim. You know why we are so easily identified as victims? Because it's easier to assign who you are to someone else and take responsibility. There's a war for your will. If we go to the Garden of Eden, God created you with a free will. Will It's fundamental to your relationship with God. You cannot love someone you haven't chosen to love. You cannot honor someone that you do not choose to honor. There are, there are despots and rulers and, 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 and these kind of people that will force people to do things. There are things people will do out of fear. But true, genuine love is always and forever will be a choice. Real honor will always be a choice. Free will is a gift God gave you. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you can have anything in this garden but that tree. There's always free will. Think of it. In heaven... How did we get a devil and demons, Lucifer, an angel, an archangel, who is in the presence of God, who many Bible scholars believe led the worship in the very throne room of God. Lucifer chose, used his will to decide, I want the throne of God. I want to sit on the big chair. I want to be at the top of the hill. Even the angels in the presence of God had free will. Adam and Eve had free will. They only had to get one thing right. I said it before, I'll say it again. I think Adam needs a slap on the back of the head. 
I think we need to go to heaven and line up for the head slap. Do you give me, anybody understand what I'm talking about? If that joker had not been so irresponsible, but anyway, we're going to be sanctified in heaven. No head slaps in heaven. Okay. You, you understand. We're all good with that. All right. Don't worry. I'm going to embarrass you in heaven. I won't do that there. I promise. You'll say he wasn't my pastor if he did that. No. Okay. So good. So here's what I want you to see. Free will is a gift God gave you. Free will is heaven's gift. Listen to what I'm going to say. Free will is heaven's gift. Free will is hell's goal. Your will is God's gift. Your will is heaven's goal. That's what he's always after. That's what he always wants. He always wants you and me to feel like it's hopeless. We are victims. Now, you may have been victimized, but you're not a victim. If you choose. If you choose. And so there's always this war. See, look, the very essence of addiction is that you encountered a drug that you no longer have the ability to say no to. Every addiction is a stealing of your will. And it's not just drugs and alcohol. There are a lot of addictions that are in this place. So we get that. I want you to see that. So so here's what I want us to see today. If we will allow God... And I've taken time to introduce this. I want you to know where we're headed through this today. If we will allow God to restore our will to us, if we will allow this freedom that comes in the presence of God, if we will stop running from Him but run to Him, I don't mean just run to Him when you felt like you earned it. Run to Him on your worst day. Run to Him on your worst week. Run to him in your biggest failure. That freedom that's found in the presence of God will allow your will to be taken back out of the hands of hell and restored to you so you can be the person God created you to be. Do you know one good choice is stronger than all the bad choices in your life? Do you know you may have messed it up and messed it up and messed it up and you can make one decision to say, Jesus... I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you will do what you said you would do. I believe you went to the cross in my place, died for my sins, took three days to kick the devil in the teeth, rose from the dead. I believe it. I wanted Jesus. Here I am. And one choice can break every bad choice hell ever put on you in your life. That's the gift of your will. It's a gift of your will. And there's a war for it. So... Let's go back to 1 Kings 18. We want to look at this war for your will. Let's go to verses 38 and 39. You know, Elijah called the nation to Mount Carmel. He called the nation to a showdown. He said, bring all your false prophets and we're going to build an altar and we're going to pray and whoever has the real God, that God's going to send fire on this altar. Man. And, and, and so they were gathered there. The whole nation it's hanging in the balance, but I, I want you to see this will issue. First Kings 18 verses 38 and 39. So they're gathered. Elijah's on one side, false prophets on the other side. There's an altar in the middle. And, 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 and we come to verse 38 and 39. And the Bible says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We had read two times before this in this same account that they would not answer. He said, who are you going to serve? How long are you going to waver? And they just stood there. No one was willing to make a choice. But when the power of God showed up, 
the whole nation repented and said, the Lord, he is God. The will of man can be released. We can, we, we can serve God when we encounter the power of God. But I have to read one more verse that is extremely unpopular to read in this day and time. Because of how these verses have been misapplied and misunderstood. It is sobering to us. It's a challenge to our modern current thinking. But on the heels of verse 38 and 39. This incredible outpouring of the spirit. This incredible demonstration of God's power. And a nation in a day. Come on. Do you realize that America can still turn to God? Do you realize that awakening is power is, is possible? Anybody believe that with your pastor today? In a day, in a moment, in one prayer and one response from God, an entire backslidden, unholy nation returned to God. It was stunning. I believe we serve the same God. But next verse, verse 40, is the one most preachers would like to skip, but we're going to read it. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley. They're slaughtered there. Executed. 450 prophets of Baal. And, 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 and we think, pastor, come on. <laughs> I don't like those verses and people use those and say, what kind of God is that? And how could those kind of things take place? And, 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 and what? So let's take a minute because as graphic as that is, There's an application in your life and my life today in this war for our will. Now, you have to understand that wasn't revenge. That wasn't just carnal slaughter. These these prophets were completely demonized. They led a demonic religion that, that unfortunately is way too close to home today. This Asherah worship and worship of Baal, uh, a, a big part of it was killing and sacrificing babies. Another part of it was silencing anyone who had dared to speak for God. Free speech was not free speech in Israel in that day. The faith in God was shoved to dark corners and out of the public mindset. These men were demonized. They, they, they were corrupt completely. They had infiltrated and destroyed a nation. There were consequences there. But pastor, if it's not revenge, then, then what was this? And, and why, why did they have to be eliminated? Well, God had warned them before this day. See, he, he had told them something. Let me, let me show you this. Go to Numbers 33, verse 51. See, a lot of times we only read the end of the story. Uh, if you want to understand how God operates, you probably should read what he said in the beginning. How many heard what I just said? Not what was the result, but what was the direction? Numbers 33, look at verse 51. He's preparing them to go into the promised land. Now notice, are you with me? Numbers 33, 51. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, now this was before they arrived there. This was before this moment of the nation of Israel being established. This is what he tells them. When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, what did he tell them to do in verse 52? Drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols. And demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it. For I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. 
to a larger group, give a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to your tribes. Look at verse 55. But if you do not drive out. What did he tell them in the beginning? Do what? Drive out. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. See, in the beginning, God said, drive them out. In the beginning, God said, here's my mercy. In the beginning, you can drive them out. But they didn't drive them out. And he said, if you don't drive them out, they're going to be trouble for you someday. There are certain things, are you listening to your pastor today? That when the power of God comes on your life, if you really want to see the effect of the revival, if you really believe the Lord, he is God, then there are some things that need to get out of your life right then. There are some decisions, listen to me, that you will be able to make. There are some some issues that you will clearly see when you encounter the power of God. And in that moment, it's going to be important that you do what you know you should do. That you react to what you've seen in the presence of God. That you say, you know, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going there anymore. That's no good for me. Are you with me, church? We're not just coming to church on Sunday and playing a game. We're loving Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, enjoying Him day in and day out, Monday through Saturday. And so, but there are moments like Israel, when you come into the presence of God, God says, this has to go. Now listen, there are some things in your life, if you'll drive them out on the front end, they're not going to have to be a death on the back end. If you'll follow the mercy of God on the front end, you're not going to have to deal with judgment on the back end. There are some moments God will give you in your life where if you'll respond to him, mercy will work in your life. And I want to tell you, I know I'm preaching some straight stuff here today, but there's a war for your will today. See, so here's what happens. There are a lot of people who are going to church, who are not doing what they ought to be doing, who have allowed these enemies to stay in their life. And you're starting to think God's mercy is approval. You're beginning to think this stuff you know that's hanging around that should have been driven out way back over here and you're, you know, the, the roof hasn't hit you on the head and catastrophe hasn't happened yet and you're taking advantage of the mercy of God. But if God says drive it out on the front end, it's better to go drive it out because if you don't, on the back end, it's going to be, pardon my language, kicking your tail and you're going to have to really do something to get it out of your life. Can I say that in church? If I can, I won't say it again. So here's the thing you've got to understand. That mercy always comes first from God. But if it is not dealt with, judgment comes on the other side. So since we gotta get them out, God told them they're gonna, they're going to be trouble. They're, they're not, they're not gonna work well. What does this represent to us today? It represents to you and I in this war for our will. There are some things in our life that need to die. There's some things in my life that need to go away. Is anybody with me right now? Yeah, some things need to die. Jesus says it like this in the New Testament. He said, I need to daily, someone say daily. I need to deny myself. I need to take up my cross and I need to follow him. There's some things that need to go. Come on, guys. Let's grow on. Let's grow. Let's grow. Let's go on with God. Let's move on with God. Let's not play around abusing his mercy. Let's get on with the anointing. Let's get on with the revival. Let's get on with the awakening. Come on. Anybody with me? Let's get on with the will and the purpose and the higher level of living for God in our life. See, this moment that we're reading, we're reading a moment. These, this is Israel. 
These are the people of God. God says, I'll bless you. I'll prosper you. No one can stand in front of you. I'm going to give you this land. But because they allow things to stay. Now the consequences. The old nations, the whole nations turned their back on God. So, so God sends fire. I want you to see this. God sends fire. The nation stunned. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They turn to God. They get rid of these false prophets. But I want to show you the stubbornness of unbelief. Go to chapter 19, verse 1. So what else could you see? A drought that had been for three and a half years was broken all in a day. We go to chapter 19, verse 1 of 1 Kings. Now, you know, Ahab was the king during this time. And Jezebel was the queen. So watch it. You ready? Now Ahab told Jezebel. You're with me? 1 Kings 19.1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the swords. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods, not the God, her gods, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Are you kidding me? In the face of this outpouring, in the face of the demonstration of God, this wicked woman said, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. You kill the prophet. I'm going to kill you, big boy. Now, we got little, little, I'm trying to think of what I want to say. Little old wishy-washy husband Ahab. He saw it all. He runs home to mommy Jezebel. Guess what he did? He killed all the prophets. You know, and, and, and we, we, we have uh, an issue in our culture today of men not being men. I'm not talking about beating a woman and acting like, you know, I've always found out the guy got coming the door beating his chest is a guy who doesn't have anything on the inside. If you've got to lead by intimidation, you're not a leader. If you think you're going to be the head of the house because you big boy stomping around and doing around and you come in and say, well, I make the bacon. Well, you probably don't even know how to cook it. You, <laughs> but we got a curse of weak men in our nation today that are being led by women that don't know what to do because a man doesn't know who he is. Now, I don't have time to go into a lot of the things. I know I lost some of you. Just stay with me. The Bible says, I am, thank you. The Bible says that Ahab was the most evil king Israel had ever had. And the reason he was is because he had partnered with the most wicked queen they had ever had. This demonic duo had set themselves up against God. Now remember when we read Numbers, you should drive these nations out? How did the king of Israel, God's people, in God's given land, where did he get a queen like Jezebel. Well, he, she wasn't from Israel. She was a Sidonian, a Phoenician. He had gone where God told him not to go and found something where he shouldn't have been looking and brought her back. Her father had become the king of the Sidonians, but he had been a demonic priest before he began the king. And it was Jezebel who brought the worship of Baal and Asherah into the nation of Israel. And now this king and queen have so set their hearts against God that in the face of this power, they said no. Now, here's what I want you to see. When, when you encounter the power of God, your will changes, your, your life changes. You're willing to say yes to God. But, but these individuals were so hardened in their heart, they wouldn't even turn to God. 
There are going to be moments when God begins to move and pour his spirit out where, where, where people's lives will change. There will always be some people, even in the face of that, who are unwilling and stubborn. You don't want to be that person. You, you don't want to be intimidated by the person. So you, you, you saw what I read here. So she says, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah, before we throw rocks at him, come on. Elijah turns and runs away and hides from her. Now, well, you would think he'd say, bring it on. Come on, not tell the truth. It just, he just had this victory and this, this, this queen said, I'm going to kill you. I mean, I'm thinking, come on, tell the truth. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be thinking by then you're a bad man right there? Tell the truth. Wouldn't you be thinking, you, you, you and your army bring it on. You, you want to wrestle? Come on, let's do this. Elijah runs. He runs into the desert. Watch this. What he, listen, I want to help you. The enemy will always come to intimidate you when you make a step towards God. He'll always bring an intimidation. It's an intimidation because he doesn't have the power to back it up. So you, you encounter the power of God. Listen, I want to help you. And life begins to change. Somewhere an intimidation is going to come at you. Here's what you don't want to do. Elijah ran away from his assignment. Elijah ran away from where God had just established his authority. And the Bible says he runs out into the desert, tells his servant, leave me alone. I want to be all by myself. Come on, how many know that? You want to throw that pity party. Isn't it better to be pitiful all by yourself? So it says he runs out in the desert and he crawls under a tree. And here it goes. You know, Blues Brothers, verse 1. Oh God. I'm the only one left out of all the people in this land. And now they want to kill me, God. I don't, I don't want to live. I wish I was dead. I, you know, now, you know, last week he prayed fire from heaven down. Last week he stopped the drought that had almost destroyed the land. Today, I want to die. I want to die. How do you get from the mountain to the desert when you walk away from your assignment? When you run from where? The presence of God. Where are you going to find the power of God? When you're in the will of God. Where are you going to encounter His glory? When you're doing what He asks you to do. Where are you going to... We sang it today. The bigger the giant, there's something the stronger my faith. I think that was, that was in that song. So here's... So <clears throat> I want you to see this. Elijah, in this whole scenario, is a picture of what happens when there's a war for our will. A war for our will. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, what does the Bible say? We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not fighting with personalities. Are you with me? I'm going to show you something right here. Stay with me. It's not people. It's personalities. It's a war for your will. Satan doesn't want you to choose God. Satan doesn't want you to kill some things in your life that are going to wreck and ruin you. Satan wants you to rely on mercy and misunderstand that for approval. Satan wants these things around you to keep you from being everywhere God wants you to go. It's a spiritual battle. He's wrestling for our will. He wants to take that away from us. But the good news is when we choose... Someone say choose to go in the presence of God. God breaks us free on the inside. And no matter the intimidation around us, we stop running. How many say, Pastor, I want to stop running. I want to stop hiding. I want to stop being intimidated. <clears throat> I want to stop moving off the places God has for me. And so th- this is what happened. Elijah runs and he hides. But the goodness of God, how many are thankful for the goodness of God? God sends an angel to him. He says, come on, I'm going to give you some strength. But Elijah's still not through from hiding. He's in a cave right now. Maybe you're hiding in a cave. Listen to me today. God sent me to knock on the door of your cave today. God told me to get up out, told you to get up out of your cave today. God wants you to 
know your giants are not bigger than your God. God wants you to know that whatever intimidated you is about to fall at your feet. God wants you to know that what you've never been able to do, you're going to do. Maybe you've always gotten there, but there was a Jezebel or an Ahab, an intimidation, someone from the past. Well, I'm here to tell you today... God is for you. And it's time to get out of those caves of depression. So Elijah's in a cave. And God speaks to him and says, what are you doing in there? You can read this chapter. It says he comes to the mouth of the cave. And an earthquake happened. And a violent wind happened. And then while he's standing there in the presence of God, with his cloak wrapped around him, a small voice, a quiet voice says, I'm not through with you. It's not over. I'm still here. I'm still for you. Are you listening to me today? It's not through for you. It's not over for you. It doesn't matter who failed you and who messed you up and who worked against you and what happened over here. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the only one. By the way, God said, Elijah, you're not the only one. I got my boys that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, haven't done that. Do you know when you stand up for God, you'll find the other people standing up for God. When you crawl out of that cave, you'll find some men and women of God. So I want to speak to you today. If you're a high school student today, you're not the only born again student in that high school. You stand up for God and get out of that cave and you're going to find the others who haven't bowed their knee to this thing. If you're a Gen Z, you're not the only Gen Z serving God. God's got his people. Come on. He needs someone to stand up and say, I'm one of those guys. If you're a millennial, I don't care what they say about you. God says about you that he's for you, that he's with you, that he's called you, that he's anointed you. And if you'll crawl out of that cave, God will meet you with an army of his people around you. Grandma, grandpa, you're not done yet. Are you breathing? You're not done. Are you walking? You're not done. Can you hear me? You're not done. I just heard somebody, the Holy Spirit said, you're home laying in a bed right now. You're not done. God's going to raise some people up. Yes, he is. There's a war for your will. If you'll make the choice, God will back your choice up. God will do it. Now, let me show you a picture of this thing. Go to 1 Peter 3.14. 1 Peter 3.14, my last passage. I want to show you this. I'm going to illustrate this in just a minute. You ready? There's a, there's a battle. 1 Peter chapter 3. This passage is um, sometimes difficult to understand. But there's something so powerful I want you to see. You ready? 1 Peter 3.14. The war for your will. You see what happened there in Israel when God, when people said, God, you can come. You see what happened in this moment. So let's, let's, let's see this. This, it translates. There, there's something that, that identifies this. I want you to see this, this, this truth here. First Peter 3, 14. You ready? I want to read from this translation here. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Come on. Look, I, I love this. I, I love this. Look at this. Do not fear. What they fear. Oh, did you see that? Don't be afraid of what other people are afraid of. Don't fear what the world says you have to fear. Okay. So here we are. You ready? Uh, we're, we're reading this. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Verse 15. But always in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Are you seeing this church family? Always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Do you see that? Just get ready. We're the hope dealers in this world. Why? Because we chose to follow him. 
Because we've been released in the presence of God. Because our will's been set free. So you're ready. Be uh, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. Are you with me? Now watch this. Keep in clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You're going to live this out so strong, they're going to be intimidated to even insult you anymore. Verse 17. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Come on, yeah. If you're going to give me a hassle, hassle me for doing good. (laughs) All right, come on. So let's keep going. Watch this. Here's where this whole thing shifts. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. We understand that, don't we? He died on our cross. He was put to death in the body. Watch this. But how was he raised from the grave? Made alive by the Spirit. Through whom? Now watch this. Also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who were those? Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people ate and all were saved through water. So what happens? There were fallen angels. I don't have time to really go through this. When Satan rebelled, some of the angels rebelled. These angels were were cast into a place of prison where God held them there, where they are held now, so they could no longer do the damage they were doing on this earth. There were some things they did, and God said, that's enough. You're, you're, you're trapped. So after Jesus dies on a the cross, these spirits are wandering, these angels, these fallen enemies of yours, and they're reminded again, you're never getting out. You're never going to be released. You're never going to do to my people what you would like to do to my people. This statement's made. It's powerful. So watch this. Then what does he throw in here? And, are you ready? Look, while God was waiting patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, only a few people ate were saved. How were they saved? He says, look, not because of water, through water. And this water symbolized baptism. What in the world? So right in the middle of this spiritual conflict, he throws water baptism into it. Now stay with me. I'm going to help somebody here. So this symbolizes baptism that now saves you. It doesn't save you. Being baptized in water is not your salvation. It's your testimony of your salvation. See, he says it's not the removal of dirt from the body. That's what water does. What saved us? Are you ready? Look, the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers and submission to him. Now, what does this say? I want you to go back and, and, and look here with me again. Uh, in verse 21, this water symbolizes baptism that saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. Literally, pledge of a good conscience, a pledge. He says water baptism is so powerful. There's such a reaction in the spiritual world when a person's baptized in water, that it's like a pledge of allegiance to the kingdom of God in the face of everything that has stood against you. It's your pledge of allegiance. It's an oath of honor to God. Now, we know from Romans 6 that water baptisms, we identify what Christ did. You go under the water, what does that signify? The old life's dead. How many are thankful for that? In other words, my life's buried. Did I tell you earlier, some things need to die. 
So you come to water baptism understanding, I'm not just going up there going through a ritual. I have pledged my oath to Jesus. I am making a pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I am, I am coming saying, my old life is dead. I let it go. I turned it loose. Some things need to go. They're not coming up out of that water with me. How many hear what I'm saying? And then they pull you up. I pull you up. Some pastor pulls you up. And what is that? I have a new life. I am resurrected in Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to see. That's powerful. That's amazing. That's dynamic. We made a pledge. We made a pledge of allegiance to God. But the Bible says it symbolizes the very thing that happened when Israel walked through the Red Sea. It sends a message to the demons of hell who've been trying to track your life. It says to them, every time someone's baptized in water and comes up, it says, every plan of the devil just got broken. Every plan of the enemy has failed. Here's one more testimony. When you go under that water and come up, the angels that that came to attack you and that are prison so they can't hurt you. A message goes off in hell and says, another one just pledged allegiance to the kingdom of God. Every time somebody's baptized in water, all of a sudden there's an alarm that goes in hell and says somebody else just died to our lives and came alive in the kingdom of God. It is water baptism is literally one of the strongest spiritual warfare statements that ever happens on this earth. But I want to remind you, it says it was like Israel going through the Red Sea. So let me show you real quick. I need uh, everybody on that front row. Come on with me. Everybody, come quick, come quick. Come on, everybody, come quick. Everybody on the front row. I want you guys to come over here. I'm going to show you something. Come on, come on, come on. So what you want you to do, there's about 10. I want five to stand here and face this way and five to over here and face them. Okay, you come make, yeah, 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 yeah. Spread out a little bit, kind of arms length. Okay, it's your five. Yeah, good, good, good. Okay, so you ready? Here's the Red Sea. All right, come here, Pastor Emilio. You get to be the, you stand right there. Okay, all right. Uh, I've got to pick on somebody, sorry. Who am I going to pick on? John, you and Edward, come on, come on over here. These are good guys, but they're going to be bad guys for a moment. All right, so, 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 you ready? We're, here's water baptism. He says water baptism is just like, Right there. Can you stop, stop right behind Pastor Emilio? Water baptism, watch this, is just like Israel coming through that Red Sea. What happened when they came through the Red Sea? Okay, here's the Red Sea. It also pictures water baptism. Are you ready? Okay, Israel comes through the Red Sea. Look, here's passing through. He's passing through. He's passing through. We're coming through water baptism. Now watch this. Okay, you guys try to follow him. You're the enemy. You're following through. Okay, go slow. Okay, you guys stop. Stop. Crap. Okay, so what happened? Okay, watch, watch this. Watch this for a minute. Listen, every time someone gets baptized in water, you're watching me? Every time, and that person comes up out of that tank, the devil may try to go get them, but he can't come through that tank after them anymore. Just like the enemy got stopped trying to come through the Red Sea, when I make a pledge of allegiance to Jesus, when I say I belong to you, I don't care about what I was before. You can sit down. Thank you. I don't care about what happened over here. I don't care how bad I was, how good I was, how I blew it, how I didn't blow it. I'm going to get baptized. I'm making a pledge of allegiance. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Now, the water doesn't save you. Giving your heart to Jesus saved you, what he did on the cross. But can you see that? The devil can't follow you through that baptism. He can't get in that place. We draw a line up up here in front of this church and says, hell, you can't. 
can't come through. If Egypt couldn't come through, you can't come through. But here's the thing that's even better. I should have said it. Right when they come in, not only did it stop the devil from coming after them, are you ready? They drowned inside that sea. Here's what God said to him. He said, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see those Egyptians again. There is a commitment to Jesus that is so powerful that when the devil tries to follow you in the next season of your life, he not only can't get to you, he gets killed in the process and you will never have to see that junk again. So if you get baptized in water playing a game, it's a game. If you get baptized in water thinking water is going to save your soul, you just got a bath. But if over here I give my heart to Jesus, I say, Lord, I've had enough of me. I've had enough of this life. I've been in sin long enough. I've been playing church long enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've put my faith in Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to tell the world I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the demons from hell said, we better get that boy back. He was a good one for us. And they try to come through the waters of your commitment to Jesus. They drown on sight. It kills what the enemy used to do in your life. Why? Because you chose to give your life to Jesus. Your free will just was delivered in the waters of baptism and commitment to God. And it drowns every trap of the enemy against you. I want you to stand to your feet with me. We're going to pray together right now. I'm happy (laughs) that I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Water baptism is a picture You know what's stronger than the waters of baptism? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. That's what it pictures. Demons can't go where the blood of Jesus goes. Demons can't live where the blood of Jesus lives. Demons can't follow in where the blood of Jesus has set us free. Today, the enemy wants your will. Today, the enemy would love, listen to me, for you to think, I can't change. I can't choose. It's too late. I've got to wait on them. I've got to wait on them. No, you've got a free will today. And you can say, Lord, here's my life. Lord, here's my life. Not my Sunday, but my life. Are you with me? Not just get me out of trouble, but you got me. Not just if I do this, will you do that? No, I'm yours. When a person makes that commitment and they follow the Lord in water baptism and make that pledge, that water baptism becomes a place where the devil drowns and dies becomes a place where the enemy can't come get you again. It becomes a place where your addiction is broken. It's a place where your shame is broken. It's a place where ungodly relationships are broken. Because you're saying, I'm dead to this stuff. I'm dead to this stuff. You know, it's freeing. It might be frightening, but it's also freeing. Because a lot of people have gotten to the place and say, I can't get by without. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can get by with him. Are you with me, church? Those are dangerous people in the kingdom of God. That's why the God says, I'll drown them. I'll, you, you won't see that Egyptian anymore. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.